When I was still in high school, I, uh, I took a job uh, selling um, insulation, household insulation, door to door. Um, we lived in Ontario in those days, and the Ontario government had created a, an initiative where uh, they were trying to encourage people to upgrade the efficiency of their homes, and so there was a subsidy that was offered, and so there were a few companies that took advantage of that, and uh, I, you know, got this job uh, going door to door selling insulation. I um, more or less a cold call to a, a senior couple. Um, and uh, was explaining to them the deal. They invited me in for a cup of tea. They explain, I explained to them the, the deal, how this worked and what they could do and kind of moving toward the close. Um, and uh, uh, the, the woman just stopped kind of cold you know, in her tracks and she said, look, uh, this doesn't make sense at all to me. Like, we've got drywall on our ceiling. Uh, I can look up and, and I, so where's the heat go? Like, the idea of the need for insulation, the idea that heat, heat could, was tra will transfer through uh, different media at different rates, totally lost on her, did not follow the science of it. And to the, to the point here, my ability to explain it was, was inadequate. I, I didn't close the sale. Um, the science was sound, um, but the uh, ability to explain it was, was not. Um, we've been in this series, we're in a series called uh, Big Ideas, and um, we're looking at fundamental concepts, fundamental ideas of uh, the Christian faith, and particularly the Christian and Missionary Alliance, because we're following through the, um, our statement of faith. Um, and we're addressing ideas that are, are perhaps more difficult to get our heads around than the idea of heat transferring through a media uh, like drywall. I, I wish I'd thought, I wish I'd thought to, to use the illustration of a winter jacket you know, your shirt, you know, compared to winter, anyway, I didn't think of that. Um, in this series, we're trying to get our heads around some ideas that are, that are difficult and, and to see. And, and yet we are a people who rely on uh, experts. We rely on, who are the people that speak into your life that you believe? When they speak, you believe it. What are, what are the authorities that you would look to and you say, well, I would believe that. Um, you, you, you know, if you go to the doctor, and they say, look, that, that pain in your belly is going to require surgery. Um, we say, okay, I can't see it, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust that that's true. Um, maybe you've heard the economist that says, look, if you're, if you're making a short-term investment because you're going to need those dollars in the next few years, um, you need to stick with bonds and you know, securities because stock market's a little more volatile, your equity's not going to be secure. You, you, you maybe listen to the economist. Um, you may or may not have listened to the Bank of Canada three, two, three years ago when they said interest rates would rise. Um, you might have said, oh, you know, or maybe you said, yeah, um, I, I get that. It's probably a, a sure thing, but you didn't necessarily do anything about it. You didn't necessarily lock your mortgage in or, 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 or whatever, because there's a second question. One is, the what are the authorities that I believe? The second is, what do I do with the information that, that comes when they bring something that would be reportedly authoritative. You might b believe the science behind heat transferring through the ceiling, you, you know, kinetic energy um, moves molecules when they in irritate the next molecule, and some substances, uh, are, that happens less so. They have an insul they're an insulator, and the, the heat energy doesn't transfer through them, and so it's insulation. And you might, you might get all that better than I do, and, and still not by the, the insurance, the insulation package, right? Um, wh what do we do with that which we believe? Uh, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? What do we do with it? Uh, what's the big idea about the Bible? Uh, do you believe it? Why or why not? Um, 
One answer to that question, an answer that you'd, you've heard, if you've been here before, you've heard me say more or less this. One answer about the big idea of the Bible is the Bible says that humanity has a terminal problem. It's a terminal problem, and God has been at work um, resolving that problem through the work of Jesus Christ. Um, it's, a, it's an account, it's a story that begins in Genesis and continues. It's a thread of continuity that all the way to the last chapter of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. You, you've heard me speak on that before if you've been here before. Uh, but our, our purposes here this morning are, are maybe a little more specific than that. Um, the subtext to our question here is our denomination statement of faith. Um, and so, maybe zeroing in my answer more specific to that subtext, I would say, what, what's the big idea the, about the Bible? Well, the big idea about the Bible is that it, it claims to assert an authority over your life. It claims to assert authority over my life, the, the right and the privilege to speak into our lives in, in, in a way that corrects us, uh, inspires us, challenges us. That, that's what it claims claims to do. Um, so what's the big idea about the Bible? The Bible, let's see if we can get it on the screen here, constitutes the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. Now that's an insanely heavy statement, if, if you think about that. The divine and only rule for Christian, if, 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 it's calling us to attend to this. The, in fact, the full article number four of our statement of faith reads as follows. The Old and New Testaments, inerrant as originally given, were verbally inspired by God and are a complete revelation of his will for the salvation of people. They constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. So here's, here's how we're going to tackle this one this morning. Uh, we're going to examine what the Bible says about itself. Um, and then we're going to look at, at how that text has come to us. And then I'll lay out kind of the options that are there for, uh, for serious thinking people like you and me. Uh, there aren't a lot of options, frankly. Um, you can follow along in your sermon notes. That outline that I've just referenced is there. Uh, if you've got questions, if you've got ideas, maybe there's some, a thought you'd like to you know, remember or follow up on. So what does the Bible say about itself? If, um, if someone who had no introduction to the Bible, the Christian Bible, uh, had no idea what it said, stumbled across um, this book and began reading. Um, and, and, and let's say they began at the beginning and they read through to the end. Um, they would come away with lots of questions. There's no doubt about that. But one of the things that they would discover is that most of the text wants to be taken at face value. It wants to be taken for, as just being truthful in what it says. So they just get to page two, Genesis chapter two, verse four, and they would read, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And then they would read on and they would discover narratives, stories of, 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 of people that, that seem to be presented as historical human beings. Uh, with, with genuine uh, struggles, trials, triumphs. Um, in fact, one of the really winsome um, facts about Scripture is that when it presents someone that we would understand to be a hero, at best they're tarnished. Like it presents them with, with such disclosure concerning their strengths and their, their weaknesses and their trials, at best they're presented as tarnished. 
It, it, it compels us to, to say there's something real, there's something different about this. That would be in contrast to other historical documents uh, that uh, were, were written really to try to make the hero look good, look better than they really were. We don't, we don't have that evident in, in Scripture. Uh, they would encounter uh, books of poetry, um, artistically presented. Uh, they, they would encounter books that, well, they would, they would eventually get to one book that is, quite frankly, R-rated because of its sexually explicit content. They're like, whoo, <laughs> wow, right? Uh, they, would, they would encounter prophets speaking. Um, they would encounter some strange writings that, that we refer to as apocalyptic, uh, which recently we looked at one of those, uh, Book of Revelation. Difficult to understand. So they would come away with lots of questions, there's no doubt. Um, now, true also is that, that, I mean, you could pick up any one of a number of uh, novels. Uh, you could pick up Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, Treasure Island, or, or you could pick up um, 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and you would read uh, books which claim to be factual accounts of someone's experience. Now, a big difference here would be that no one older than eight or ten years of age really believes Treasure Island exists, you know, in the, the way that it's presented in the novel. And yet, generations of intelligent, mature adults, some of whom have written some of the most profound works of art, philosophy, prophetic statements, songs written, um, historic writings, I mean really, really intelligent, capable, amazing human beings uh, have, have taken it at face value and said it, it says this and I'm trusting, I actually completely believe it to be true. Now, that, that's not to be the definitive proof in itself. All I'm suggesting is uh, that we not be so presumptuous as modern humanity as to say, look, we've got it all figured out. That we at least allow the, the, the weight of the opinions of those who've gone before us to weigh in to the conversation as, as one of the things we would consider as we evaluate what this is that we're reading. Now, our friend, reading through for the first time without any orientation to, to the Bible at all, uh, would encounter um, uh, this expectation on the part of what he's reading uh, to be taken at face value. Um, but he would also encounter, she would also encounter, um, a persistent claim that these writings intend to be speaking on God's behalf. That they believe themselves to be God's voice to those who are willing to listen. Uh, so Moses is reported to have said, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, uh, do not add or subtract from these commands I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord, your God, that I am giving you. And we say, well, is Moses speaking or is God speaking? Um, he believes himself to be speaking the words of God to those who are willing to listen. We go a little further in that same book, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and, and, and describing God's work, Moses says, God humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, declaring to speak God's word to, uh, to people, he reports the following, Isaiah 55, verse 11, 
It is the same with my word, God speaking, speaking in God's voice here. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. We get to the New Testament. And the Apostle John, he writes, speaking about Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 14, so the word, he's referring to Jesus, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, the Father's one and only Son. Jesus himself is reported to have said, um, John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. I I could go on and on and on. There are so many examples throughout the pages uh, of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, where it claims to be bringing God's voice to us if we will listen. Now further, if you'll just give me at least this much and accept that it's a historical fact that Jesus Christ was born, lived, taught, died, um, and was at least reported to have been raised from the dead. Jesus believed the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, he quoted them often. And not only did he believe the Old Testament scriptures, but he promised that his followers would remember the things that he said and would pass them on that they would be led into all truth, that there was more that was going to be revealed. Perhaps Jesus' most famous famous quoting of the Old Testament came in uh, response to a question. Uh, It's recorded for us in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. It's recorded in Matthew and Luke as well. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now in this, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And multiple times through Jesus, three and a half years of of intentional, active ministry, Uh, He quoted and he affirmed the Hebrew scriptures as being something that carried weight, something that was authoritative, something that that should be listened to. Now what's more, Jesus promised that that was not all. John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He was speaking to his disciples there. Well, as if demonstrating that to be true, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, writes in a letter that he wrote to a church in the city of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Well, if that, that wasn't enough, um, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, disciple, was there when Jesus made that promise that the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth and help them remember the things that ultimately were recorded for us in the Gospels. Peter writes, in a letter we refer to as 2 Peter chapter 1, um, he writes the following. He says, uh, uh, verse 20, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as we read through the pages of the Old Testament, we are reading the Hebrew scriptures which Jesus read and Jesus quoted and Jesus commended as being authoritative. And when we read the New Testament, uh, we are reading the Gospels, we're reading the letters of the New Testament, uh, we are reading the teachings which Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would prompt. That the the Holy Spirit sent by the Father in the name of the Son uh, would lead us into truth. Now one final kind of sub-point in this category, our friend has been reading along, has been discovering these, the, the scriptures speak, um, wanting to be taken at face value, um, that uh, they report to be speaking, to be bringing uh, the word of God, truth from God, um, that Jesus himself, uh, this person who utterly punctuated all of history, Jesus himself quoted and promised, quoted the Old Testament and promised that there would be more like this, that there would be more revelation of, of, of all truth coming from God, revelation from God. But, but there's an incredibly pragmatic fact, and that is that people found that it works. Those in the accounts that our friend has been reading report that, that they encountered and were changed by God. Um, and if, in fact, if he were to do a little digging around, he found someone else who was a follower of Jesus and who, who was listening to Scripture, listening to the Old New Testament as authoritative in their life, they would have no difficulty in finding someone who'd say, it's changed me. My, my, my encounter with Jesus has utterly changed who I am. In fact, so significant was this that the early church fathers, uh, 100 AD uh, through 200 to, to 300 AD, those who were first responsible for the church, before, before they had anything like this, before the, uh, these writings had been gathered exactly as they have them, before binding processes were such as they are, but they found that there were writings from the first century, from those who walked with Jesus um, and those who talked with Jesus and those who immediately followed guys like the Apostle Paul, so convincing were some of their writings uh, so real, so different were they that they said there is something different about this. And the churches around the Mediterranean, those in North Africa, those uh, around modern-day Italy and and, and, um, Asia Minor, Turkey, uh, Syria, they said there are some of these letters, some of these writings out of the many that exist in the world that that are authoritative. They, they, They touch me, they change me. In fact, we found them to be true and trustworthy. When, when God said that you could have a friendship with him, they pursued that and found that it was true. When Jesus said things like, you can have an inner peace uh, that, that transcends understandings, transcends your circumstances, they tried Jesus and they found that it was true. When these writers speaking in the voice of God called for certain moral behaviors, those who would embrace the advice that they gave found that it was helpful, found that life worked better when they, when they followed the advice that was being given. These are the kind of things that the Bible would say about itself. And, and then we would say, well, but how did this come to us today? Um, how, how is it that we get this? I mean, uh, the Old, the New Testament, as we, as we currently have it, it, it faces accusations, right? Uh, you, surely you've heard or, or, or read accusations that, 
uh, it's collusion, it's conspiracy, that, it, you know, the machinations of the church to try to manipulate people to, to, to follow them. Um, uh, if you've read Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code or maybe seen the movie, that would be maybe a popular version of some of those suspicions, uh, conspiracy theories. Um, Richard Dawkins, the atheist, uh, writes, has basically written off the entire Bible uh, as having any value at all, in part because they believe that the church manufactured it to support its ideas and ultimately to affect the control of, of people. And the fact of the matter is that we are exercising a, a degree of trust in the scholars who have actually been in the presence of the original manuscripts. Uh, scholars, librarians who have been in the, uh, the major libraries, the, the, the uh, prestigious libraries of, of our world, um, libraries like uh, Dublin's Chester Beatty Library, um, or, or the British Library, or, or the University of Cambridge Library, where, where they say, look, I've been in the presence of, of ancient writings, the actual pieces of papyrus, and it's true, it's there, I've seen it for myself. And, and we would then say, okay, well, what is it that, that you've seen? What is it that, that is behind us? See, I have, um, many of us have probably brought our English translation, whether it's NIV or, or ESV or NLT or any of these modern translations. Uh, on the shelf of my library, I have uh, Greek New Testament, a couple of them actually. Um, I've got a Hebrew, a couple of different Hebrew um, uh, Old Testaments. Uh, but what's underneath those? Where did those source materials come from? A and these librarians would say, well, actually, um, they come from a whole stack of ancient manuscripts that have been um, gathered together in these libraries and preserved and are there for the reference of the scholars who will come and look. In fact, what you will find is that the weight of their voice is so significant as historical documents uh, that it's actually completely un unparalleled among historic documents within our world. So let me see if I can explain what I mean. Um, in 488 to 425 BC, uh, a guy named Herodotus wrote uh, history that was informative and helpful and helps us understand that period of history. Um, earliest copy we have of that is from 900 AD. So of course, ancient documents, there were no photocopiers. <laughs> Nobody was just photocopying them. So uh, you know, if, if you wanted a copy of my copy of Herodotus history, you got to write it out. And so scribes would carefully, painstakingly copy, and then, you know, a generation on, another copy would be made, and a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. That's, but history being what it is, you know, the, the older stuff gets thrown out, um, maybe it gets uh, damaged in a fire, um, war, um, lost in a flood. Um, the, the, the earliest copy of Herodotus' work comes um, in 900 AD. So there's a 1,300-year gap between when Herodotus wrote and the earliest copy that we have in our libraries, and we've got eight copies of his works. Uh, Thucydides wrote about that same period of time, very similar stats. 900 AD is our earliest copy, 1,300-year time lapse, um, eight copies. Uh, Tacitus wrote in the end of the first century AD, Roman historian, um, earliest copy we have of his writings uh, and his reflections on history are 1100 AD. There's a thousand year time gap. We've got two, 20 uh, of, of 
of those ancient documents. Caesar's Gaelic Wars, uh, written uh, about 58-50 to 50 BC, uh, very, very helpful to historians in understanding what took place in that period of history. Uh, earliest copy we have is 900 AD, a 950-year time gap. There's nine or 10 copies of, uh, of the Gaelic Wars. No one, no one would ever question the historic value and reliability of those documents, and that's what they are. How does that compare to the New Testament, by way of example? New Testament was written uh, between 40 and 100 AD. The earliest copies we have, we got parts of the New Testament that date back to 130 AD. So an actual hard copy that, that is only 30 years removed from the original autograph, from the original writing that was there. We've got complete copies of the entire New Testament that date to 350 AD, full copy, 310 year gap. But we don't have eight or, or, or 20 copies of those. Um, there are over 5,000 Greek manuscripts that, that are considered ancient documents. It's just an embarrassment of riches. There are so many. If you go to Latin manuscripts, because the Roman Empire was a Latin-speaking empire, um, it's actually over 10,000 copies in the Latin. If you went to um, references, so what that means is a Christian writer maybe referenced something from one of the New Testament uh, letters, um, or maybe it was a, a Roman historian or a Jewish historian. There are actually over 36,000 times that the New Testament is referenced. Here's what it means. It means that there are many points of cross-reference that would allow us to verify that what we have is a faithful reproduction, a faithful transmission of what was originally written. The Old Testament documents have similar attestation. Um, we follow that my Hebrew Bible in my office is um, uh, basically a copy of what's called the Masoretic text. Um, the Masoretes were Jewish scribes dedicated, who dedicated their lives, generation after generation, to preserving the Hebrew text and meticulously copying it page after page after page over the course of a thousand years. Uh, the copy that's sort of the most complete and, and most helpful to, to scholars is something called the Leningrad Codex, which dates to 1000 AD. Um, but it's not the only point of reference that we have for the, the, the truthfulness of the Old Testament, the accuracy of the Old Testament. We have something called the Septuagint. Uh, the Septuagint was a Greek copy of the Hebrew scriptures that was done about 100 years before the time of Jesus. Jewish scholars translated the Hebrew text into Greek, and we actually have uh, um, uh, portions of the Septuagint from the first century AD. Uh, so you've got this cross-reference between something that's dated to a thousand years after Jesus to something that was dated to within a few years after Jesus, and this cross-reference in the New Testament. And then in the last century, an enormous gift to us was in the, the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls, um, were preserved, discovered, writings from 150 BC to 70 AD, but, but completely preserved in the utterly dry climate of the southern Judean wilderness, and discovered by a shepherd boy and, and uh, drawn out. And what we have there are a number of ancient writings, and included with those are uh, things like a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. And, and so you can cross-reference what the Masoretes um, transcribed, copied, um, what the Septuagint, um, says uh, with 
um, copies of some of the Old Testament at these points. And what, and what we find is that there's a remarkable degree of continuity um, where you would expect scribal error to be substantial, almost unrecognizable. You know, you've, you've probably played the game, right? You know, you sit in a room and you say something to the person next to you and they say it to the person that maybe you were in high school once upon a time. I don't know, did you play that? You know, they say, by the time it gets around the room, like it's completely, like completely unrecognizable um, what it was that was actually said. Well, that's not the case with the transmission of, of scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. We know with a high degree of certainty that both the Old and the New Testaments are documents that are, have been faithfully reproduced from the originals. We're going to talk about that specifically related to the Old Testament this fall uh, as, we, uh, as we get into some studies together in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, with all of this, let me then also say uh, there's a problem that comes with this embarrassment of riches, with the wealth of these documents. If you've only got eight or 10 or 20 ancient documents that you're cross-referencing, uh, the, the opportunity for variance is relatively small because um, you've only got you know, eight or 10 or 20 copies that you're comparing. When you're comparing thousands of documents, uh, all of a sudden there is opportunity for variance. There's opportunity for, uh, sometimes it's just little things like ands or thes that are, are said a little differently. Um, sometimes it's the spelling of a word. Sometimes it's a whole sentence. It's a sentence that is maybe in some and not in others. Other times it's maybe even a whole paragraph. Um, it's a problem that comes because there are just so many that, to, to, to cross-reference. Um, scholars then look at the, the, the preponderance of evidence and they make some, some decisions about which ones to, uh, to, to prefer. But in, in, in sort of full disclosure, on almost every page of your Bible, if you've got a modern translation, almost every page has footnotes on it, which if there's a, a notable, a significant variant reading, they, they tell you about it. Um, don't look it up now, but, but maybe you'd look it up um, this afternoon. A, a great example, maybe the most substantial example of that, is in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse uh, 53. Um, that's a, a segment of Scripture which most scholars believe is authentic. Um, the John actually wrote it. Um, they're just not sure where he intended it to go in his Gospel. Um, and, and the footnote tells you that. So it's just this transparent, full disclosure saying we're not sure what to do with that. But regardless, by and large, this is a, a really reliable document that is what the original authors intended us to, uh, to experience. All of this would be to say, if you're going to believe anything uh, from history, if you're going to read, believe it, there's nothing more substantially attested to than the Old and New Testaments that we have before us today. There's a high degree of certainty concerning them. Now, now let me even go on to say, or we talk about the Bible, we're talking about a document that was written by something like 40 different writers over a period of 1,500 years, assembled into 66 uh, books of, of the Old and New Testament. Um, these writers, Peter told us, were carried on by the Holy Spirit um, in what they were writing. And, and, and you would stand back and say, well, over 1,500 years, 40 different writers, and yet there's a remarkable degree of continuity, a remarkable degree of, of agreement together. There's a, there's a thread that can be traced through it as we stand back from our position in history and are able to look at it rather objectively. What's even more, there would be those who would say, not only is that evidence of divine provision, 
Uh, but, but the fact that the documents have been so wonderfully preserved over the last 2,000 years is evidence of divine provision, provision, that God has had his hand in this, not just in the writing of it, but also in the preserving of it. So much so, the Apostle Paul would tell us in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we understand these statements to be, uh, our, our statement of faith, Article 4, the Old and New Testaments, inerrant as originally given. Okay, so there's that honest statement acknowledging a degree of uncertainty. Um, inerrant as, as originally given, um, were verbally inspired. So, so not just inspired ideas, um, but, but the actual words to convey those ideas avoiding any sort of vague notion that we would try to attach to it, but, but rather offering to us a strong certainty that, that this is what God intends to speak to us. And it goes on and it says, the complete revelation of God's will for the salvation of people. Uh, there's a, a fancy word called um, uh, infallible, infallibility uh, that, that this is referring to. It means that it's utterly sufficient to accomplish exactly what God intended it to accomplish in our lives. Um, so scriptures are, are inerrant, they are inspired, and they are infallible. And because of this, we would say, well, it's because of this they constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. They have an authority which I need to come under. I need, I need to trust that this actually is an ultimate, the ultimate authority in my life, uh, and that when it speaks, and I've rightly understood it, um, I, I need to respond to what it tells me, uh, because I'm, I'm submitting to um, it as uh, as that authority, what it says about God, what it says about the human condition, what it says about how to be in right relationship with God, what it says about how, where and how I can spend eternity with him, uh, what it says about how to, how to manage healthy relationships one to another as well as relationships with him. So what's the big idea about the Bible? Well, there, there is this, this constant thread which, which says, look, humanity has a terminal problem and God's been at work to resolve that through Jesus Christ. But, but more specifically, the Bible continues, uh, constitutes the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. Uh, so so we, we've seen that this is what it says about itself. Uh, we've seen that the writers uh, intended us to take it at face value. Um, we, we've seen where the text has come from. We've come to, through that quickly. What remains then is, are, are the, are, 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 there's not a lot of options on what you're going to do with this. What are the options for a, a serious thinking person like you, a serious thinking person like me? Um, who and what will you believe? U ultimately, you and I make choices concerning um, the authorities that we have in our lives, those things that, that, that we will um, believe and what, what we will believe. You may choose um, complete acceptance. Um, I suspect the majority of us here are in that place, maybe not, um, but, but complete acceptance where you say, I don't necessarily understand it all, but I'm, I'm submitting to Scripture. I, I agree with that statement of faith that says it's inerrant, inspired, infallible, the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. But there might be others who would say, look, I, I think I'm more in the camp of cautious acceptance. I, I, I see that there's something here that I need to accept, but I have many questions that are yet unanswered. 
but I'm, going to, I'm committed to pursuing th those questions um, toward the best answers that I can find. Now, now if honestly, that's where you are and you're saying, uh, I want to just invite you to uh, consider taking the Truth Project course that we're going to offer this fall, 12 weeks, um, in digging into questions around theology and philosophy and science and, and history, and, and attempting to bring it together into a biblical understanding, examining our worldview. Uh, are our worldviews, is our worldview biblical? Uh, the, the Truth Project is going to be offered here at the church on Wednesday nights um, th this fall. Um, I wish I were a better scholar. I, I wish I was a better communicator. I, I work at these things. Um, I, I wish I could convince anyone who has doubts um, where they can le lay those doubts down. But there might be some of you who would be in, you'd say, like, I don't even think I can say I'm at a place of partial acceptance. I gotta say, I'm at a place of partial rejection. Like, I get it that there's a God that I'm responsible to, but I, I, I reject the notion that the Christian scriptures carry weight or authority in, in the discovery of, of who this God is. L let me ask you, if, if that is where you're at, let me ask you this. Um, who are the authorities that you are willing to listen to? Wh what is the authority? What are the ideas that, that form your thinking? Let me make a just a few suggestions to you. Consider listening to the, the testimony of nature. Um, nature speaks concerning an intelligent designer. Whether we're looking at the, uh, the tiniest cell, uh, the mitochondria within it, or, or whether we're looking at the vastness of the universe and its expanse, or, or we're looking at the mystery of the person sitting next to you, um, the, the universe invites us to inquire concerning the one who has designed it. Um, here's another suggestion. Listen to the, the witness of your inner voice. Um, your conscience, your, your inner sense of right and wrong. It's damaged, but it is still active. Here's another suggestion. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Surely an intelligent designer able to uh, put in motion all that is about us is capable of communicating uh, to us. It's part of our contention as to why we, we trust this. It, it only seems logical that he is capable of and has communicated to us. Uh, let me make another suggestion, and that would be to consider taking the Alpha course. If you're asking sort of fundamental questions about, you know, what is the Bible and who's Jesus and um, these kind of questions, um, I can't guarantee we're going to have one here this fall. We've got a team that's working on um, our next Alpha offering. But if you're interested, I'll connect you up with another Alpha course that's being offered. Or if that doesn't work for you, let me just invite you to, to come to the small group my wife and I host Sunday evenings and, and just doubters welcome. Uh, we'd be thrilled to have you uh, with us um, and, and inquire, uh, begin an inquiry. Now, of course, there's another category and that would be complete rejection. And let me just say, regardless of the category that you would say this is where I'm at, I am super glad you're here this morning. And you are always welcome with us here at Okotoks Alliance Church, regardless of where you're at. If you'd be willing to just kind of engage in some questions and dialogue and, and thinking together with us, we'd be thrilled for you to be with us any Sunday, every Sunday. But there are, there are many, I know, in this camp of complete rejection in our world. I suspect there aren't many, maybe there are none here this morning. In part, I suspect that's the case because I've been praying for you. And I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would so stir in your heart 
That if you came to that place where you thought about completely rejecting the notion of God and completely rejecting the notion of his scriptures being authoritative to speak in your life, there would be a terror that would come over your heart. That there would be a chill that would come down your spine, that there would be this warning, and it's the Spirit of God saying, don't go there. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Ask the questions you need to ask. Come to, come to some informed understanding concerning all of this. When I was a, a young musician, um, I was writing com- uh, ra- music for radio and television commercials. Um, and um, I found a studio in Mississauga to work at that was really high quality gear and, and reasonably affordable. Um, and, and so I started working there. Um, you spent a lot of hours in that kind of work and um, you'd have to take a break and Robert and I would take a break. He was the owner of the studio, a sound engineer. And we would go out for coffee or for a meal and um, he was a smart guy. Oh my goodness, he was a smart guy. Um, and, and he knew so much. And, and often uh, we would end up in conversation around, uh, around matters of faith. Um, and even some of the content that I've shared here this morning, he would stump me time and time again. Oh my goodness. And some, some, I just didn't feel like I had the answers. Um, there, there were times when I, 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 that distressed me. More often what it did was it kind of prompted me to want to learn more, like, like to make some inquiry, to understand better. Because there's something about what he was saying that I, was, I, I, I know there's an answer to that, I just don't know what the answer is. Sometimes it took me years to, to come across you know, the answers, sufficient answers to, to the kinds of questions that he probed. But, but do you know what kept me steady in the midst of the doubting? Two things. One was I had had an undeniable experience with Jesus that I, I couldn't explain any other way. The sense of companionship and friendship and his walking with me. The other was that though I didn't know it all, what I did know in here was compelling. It was convincing. I would read it, and, and, and it, 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 it made me long to read more. It made me long to understand more. It made me long to understand it better. I'm describing what Jesus said was both spirit and truth. Uh, we could maybe describe it as mystical and textual, um, uh, both a subjective experience of God and a deep or a deepening understanding of God, though incomplete. And, and, and so though I couldn't explain, well, how heat transfers through drywall, um, adequate to convince someone else, um, I, I, I knew that it was true. And, and further investigation and inquiry uh, helped me understand it better. Let, let me give the last word to Jesus. I'm just going to invite the worship team to come and join me here. I'm going to give the last word uh, to Jesus uh, and his encouragement not to get it wrong on this point. Jesus has been debating with uh, with some people on a moral point. Um, some people were opposing him. And, and here's his reply, Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. 29. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. There, there's the experience, the power of God, the scriptures, the objective truth. He said, you're in error because you don't know either one. So, so friends, let me invite you, let me invite you to encounter Jesus, uh, to, to pursue a relationship with him, uh, and to pursue understanding uh, of his word, uh, s- such that we would not find ourselves in error, but we would find ourselves actually walking in agreement with uh, a creator who longs for us to be in relationship with himself and longs, longs that we would, uh, we would have fruitful lives serving him here and, and joy-filled lives 
spending all of eternity with him. That's the invitation. I'd be delighted to speak with you more about it. Um, let me invite you to pray with me. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, thank you. Um, thank you that you have not left us alone um, to kind of make things up or figure things out. Um, you have, you are a God who not only designed and, and created, but you are a God who sustains and, and calls us to respond to that which you've created. And you have created us and you call us back to yourself. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to make that journey. Uh, lead us into all truth. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.